You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda with Georgia Tolley. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Hello there and thank you for downloading The Agenda's podcast from the 18th of January. And on the show today, as the UAE introduces an amended consumer protection law covering prices, warranties and the replacement of faulty products, we found out more about your rights with a local lawyer. And we also found out what it's like out there on the shop floor. Now, that was with Susan Syrek, who runs the Facebook group Diren Stretcher. Meanwhile, have you heard of the 100-day cough? Perhaps you're struggling with it. Apparently, everyone around the globe is struggling with this cough. So what is causing it? We found out with Chief Nurse Kate Hoffman from NMC Healthcare. Meanwhile, children in the UAE are going to get personalised AI tutors, as mentioned by the Microsoft boss at Davos. So how might it work? We discussed it with an expert in AI in education, Dr. Caitlin Bentley. And we've seen a series of disasters in Indian airports over the last few weeks, culminating in someone getting locked in the lavatory on a spice jet flight for more than two hours. AJ Awatani, the editor of the Indian travel website Live From A Lounge, talked us through how that might have happened. And Robbie Greenfield brought us up to date with all the latest sporting headlines. Happy Thursday to you. Uh, We're talking about consumer protections on the programme today. It's something that I get bizarrely passionate about. Um, I don't know whether it's a good trait, to be honest. I suppose it saves the family money, so it's got to be a good thing in some ways. But I love a deal. I think we all love a deal, don't we? And so when you see those sort of package deals, when they put two big things of washing powder together and they say, you know, you know, they put a big star next to it and say cheap deal, you know, four litres or whatever it is of, of powder um, for only 40 dirhams. Um, and it really, really, really annoys me because I'm the type of person that checks. If you then look and see what two of the same size packets are separately and you work out that actually... They're trying to pull the wool over your eyes. That actually, if you bought the two separately, it would be cheaper. I mean, only buy a couple of dirhams. But the point is, they're lying. Um, <laughs> they're actually lying. And that really, uh, I mean, the, the shop immediately descends down to sort of cheaters and liars in my book. But, uh, and it's actually one of the reasons why I don't go to one of our local shops, um, because they just did it so often. But it just makes me feel like the consumer protections here aren't quite what they could be. And I can give you a million of other uh, sort of examples. And I'd love it if you wanted to give me some of your examples, some of your biggest bugbears, 4001, or you can WhatsApp me on 04871 But certainly where I come from in the United Kingdom, if a deal says it is cheaper, it really does have to be cheaper. And they have really... Uh, keen consumer rights uh, and, and, and protections and offices that go around looking at it. I think we've got a similar thing here, but I think businesses could, you know, learn quite a lot from companies in the United Kingdom. Um, hopefully, we could, though, 
be at the beginning of seeing an end to that because there's been a really big amendment to the UAE Consumer Protection Law. It's come into force. It's got 43 new rules, covers everything from like prices to the warranties of products, um, invoices and things like the replacement of faulty products, like whether you can go back to the shop if something breaks within about a week or so. And businesses that actually break the rules could be liable for some pretty major fines. Uh, They start at 100,000 dirhams. They rise up to a million dirhams. Let's find out more about this amended law and how it's going to protect us. I'm joined on the line by Damien Wright. He's a senior associate at the law firm Clyde & Co. Joins me on Teams. Good morning, Damien. I'm sticking with Happy New Year until the end of the month, I've decided. So Happy New Year to you. Morning, Georgia. Uh, Happy New Year to you. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolute pleasure. Give me a little bit of an overview of this legislation from a lawyer's point of view, rather than an angry consumer point of view, which we've had so far. Well, I'm a lawyer, but I'm sometimes an angry consumer as well. But uh, I'll give you an overview. Um, the, the consumer protection law represents a major advancement in consumer rights protection and developing fair trade practices in the UAE. It's a comprehensive law, and together with its implementing regulations that covers all goods and services within the country, including those in free zones and e-commerce platforms. The law emphasizes fair trade and transparent transactions, enhancing consumer confidence and ensuring fair dispute resolutions between customers and businesses. The scope of the law is broad and it extends to suppliers, advertisers and commercial agents, which highlights the importance of consumer empowerment and market fairness. One of the key features of the law is its emphasis on e-commerce, which is increasingly relevant in today's digital age. And this includes special provisions to ensure transparency and protection for online transactions, all of which are positive developments for consumers and make the UAE an attractive place to live and trade. Do you know, you've just um, reminded me of another bugbear that I have, which is when you buy stuff online and they trick you. You think, my goodness, that's cheap for a bottle of shampoo. I must, I'll buy several of those. And then they arrive and they're miniature. Literally, they're half the normal size. In fact, it happened to me recently with a, United, with a shop in the United Kingdom. Liberty, I'm going to call them out on this. I ordered something from them. I thought that's a brilliant deal. Perfume it was. I bought it in the Black Friday sale and it arrived and it was two thirds the size of a normal bottle. I'm like, no wonder it's only, it, you know, you've given me a third off the price. And so you, you, you really touch on something important there. And obviously this UAE law has, has touched on it as well, that you have to have almost extra protections when you're buying online because it's so much easier to sort of pull the wool over your eyes. Talk to me a bit about the, the advertising side of things, because, of course, that I suppose that the scope of that goes all the way from a big billboard on Shakeside Road all the way to that the star that says, you know, buy two, save money. Yeah, absolutely. And this law takes a stringent stance against misleading advertising and it requires all promotional materials to accurately represent the product or service. And this is critical for ensuring that customers are not misled regarding the quality, the nature or the price of what they're purchasing. Under the law, suppliers must avoid creating false impressions through their advertisements. And this includes through the description of their products or services. And the law empowers consumers to report any misleading advertising. And suppliers that are found in violation may face severe penalties such as fines or even having their business license revoked. 
Interestingly, uh, the law has a unique provision requiring suppliers to inform customers of any upcoming promotional discounts if they're going to occur within a week of the purchase. So this pro-consumer approach not only builds trust, but also requires a potential overhaul in the sales practice to enhance transparency. That is interesting, this idea that if they've got a deal coming up in a week that you, you know, that they need to tell you. That, that is very interesting, actually. That, I mean, that, it makes you realise how far the law is potentially going. Um, there's another element of it, isn't there, regarding warranties and defects. So, you know, whether or not you can return a, project, a, a product if it breaks within the first year. I have to say, I find that washing machines in particular have an extraordinary ability to break in exactly 12 months and two days after you buy them. Um, but what are the rules? Have they changed the rules regarding that as well? Is that covered by this new amendment? Yeah, that is covered. And suppliers need to provide explicit warranties for their products and services. And these warranties need to detail their full extent and duration and also need to detail the conditions under which the warranties can be voided. Regarding defects, the law obliges suppliers to repair replace or refund affected products. And this helps to ensure that customers are protected against inferior products and that suppliers maintain high quality standards. The law also imposes duties on suppliers to report any discovered defects or hazards to the relevant authorities and to possibly recall these hazardous goods. The implementing regulations, which were released uh, recently, provide clarity on the procedure for addressing defective goods. And this aligns with international best practice. This aspect of the law not only protects customers, but also incentivizes suppliers to maintain high standards of product quality because a product recall process can be very expensive and potentially damaging to a brand if it's not handled correctly. So, so far, we've definitely talked about it from the sort of consumer's point of view. But I suppose that equally, while we're as shoppers all listening to this going, yes, getting our rights, I suppose businesses might be starting to feel a little bit nervous because they've got to make sure they stick within the rules. Have you got advice for those types of companies who are looking to safeguard themselves and make sure that they're sticking to the regulations? Yeah, I think to ensure compliance with this consumer protection law, suppliers in the UAE need to make sure that they have a complete understanding of their responsibilities under the law perhaps conduct a review of their current practices to identify and address any gaps in compliance, particularly in areas like labeling, warranties, and the provision of spare parts, and then establish efficient processes for managing defective products to limit any potential harm to a brand's reputation. Suppliers might also need to update contracts with third parties to ensure that these are compliant with the law, and this will include a consideration of clauses for reporting obligations, indemnities and the distribution of risk and responsibility. I think for businesses overall, a proactive approach to compliance with this law will not only protect them against potential legal penalties, but it will also enhance consumer trust and brand integrity. Really interesting stuff. Damien, we've had a few uh, questions come in. This is The Agenda with Georgia Tolley. On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station.
Yeah, we're talking about consumer rights on the programme today because there's an amended UAE consumer protection law. It sounds pretty good, I have to say. Just chatting to our lawyer earlier, Damien Wright from Clyde & Co. 43 new rules, covers prices, covers the warranties of a product, covers what else? Returns, uh, things like invoices as well, uh, and big fines for businesses that break the rules. So how needed is this law? What is the reality on the shop floor? Well, joining me now to talk through exactly what it is like when you're out there hunting for deals and steals is uh, Susan Syrek, who is uh, basically the owner and founder. Can you be an owner? Anyway, the founder of the awesome Facebook group, Dirham Stretcher. Susan, how are you? Lovely to have you join us on the line. Happy New Year. Thank you, Georgia. Happy New Year to you too. It's great to have you join us. I love your site. I love a deal. Uh, do you think that the shops out there in the UAE are trying to sometimes sort of gently scam us, gently pull the wool over our eyes with their special deals? Yeah, I think they do. And um, thankfully, we try and catch them out as much as possible. But um, they have their sneaky ways of selling us things and making it look like a deal, which it's really not. <laughs> they really do, don't they? I mean, I mentioned the one where, you know, they pretend that it's cheaper to buy a pack, you know, to buy two instead of just one. And then you sort of check it out. But you must have seen more examples of that because you really have your nose to the grindstone when it comes to finding the best deals out there. Oh, absolutely. Like something like that happens a lot. And I think that will be great once the stores start writing down the price per unit as opposed to price per product. That's going to be a huge game changer and it's well overdue. But um, not only that, but I've seen things like um, stores will go, you know, it's 50% off, especially in the online, something's 50% off and it's an extra 10% off if you do such and such and they go, therefore, it's 60% off. And that's a pet peeve of mine because it's not 60% off. And I think some of these businesses need to be a bit more transparent with the way they they advertise discounts. I've definitely been into shops during the, in inverted commas, sales. And I'm doing the bunny ears around me at the moment, for those of you not watching the radio, because you can't, um, where if you peel off the price, you can see that they basically put up the sort of official price in order to drop it to, you know, a, a, a claimed sale price. I mean, that type of behaviour is just fraud, frankly, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And for for consumers to be able to do something about it now will be fantastic. Yeah. Because something like this is well overdue, like I said. <laughs> so there's actually someone's just sent in a message saying there's a high-end retail brand for watches, which advertises them on billboards and magazines. But when you actually go to their outlet, they don't sell the pieces and neither can they take any orders for later delivery. Uh, this person's wondering what the law is around that. We will send that through uh, to our resident lawyer, Damien, who is uh, beavering away in his office at the moment, answering everyone's questions and sending the answers back to us. I mean, from your perspective is it easy for people to spend wisely here you know if you keep an eagle eye on things like prices yeah look it definitely is but you do have to be able to be aware of all the the way the businesses advertise and you've just got to you've got to be able to have that understanding so now with these new laws coming through i think people can relax a lot more and they can they can shop with a lot more confidence knowing that these laws are going to protect them so um yeah, I'm still, I'm 
always going to be keeping a, an extra watch just in case, but um, it's definitely going to relax a lot of consumers now for sure. You have to keep your wits around you, don't you? Tell me, where are you finding the best deals at the moment? I think it's okay for us to sort of positively <laughs> name certain shops, you know, or, or, or does it ruin it if you tell us where they are? Oh, I tell you what, it really depends on what you're after. If you're after groceries, clothing, whatever it is, but um, yeah, it, there's there's so many different good shops out there with really good, genuine deals. Uh, and it also depends if you're you're talking about online, if you're talking about the malls. So it's it, there wait. are. Basically, what we need to do is follow your page. That's, I mean, that's what that, it's like, we're not getting them for free yes. here. You need to go to Facebook. You need to Correct. join the UAE Durham Stretcher tra- uh, page. I'm going to ask you just one very quick question, 30 seconds to go. How about things like refunds and exchanges? How are your uh, page members, how are your members finding that process? It is quite confusing because at the moment, a lot of stores have got different refund return, uh, refund procedures. So a lot of consumers find it very confusing as to what their rule, what the rules, what the laws are, and we do have a lot of questions on the group asking for help in that regard. Um, so again, this is going to be something that if once there's that blanket rule and everyone's got the same refunds return process, it's going to calm a lot of this frustration down, and mm. consumers are going to know what what their rules and rights are. Yeah, it's just so hit and miss at the moment. I remember being absolutely staggered when I came to this country a decade ago and discovering that if you bought a piece of clothing and took it back, in the UK, you can get a full refund, obviously, if it's in a totally perfect condition. Here, they were like, no, 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 you just get a store credit. You don't you don't get the money back. And I know that that's changed in some stores, uh, but it still was very, very surprising to me. Uh, as ever, Susan, thank you so much for joining us on the line. We really enjoy your company and your advice. And certainly, definitely worth going onto Facebook and joining Susan Cyrex's page. It is, if you just look for Durham Stretcher, uh, you'll be able to, to join up pretty quickly there. Right, let's uh, stick on consumer rights just for the next couple of minutes because we've had a message here in answer... So we had the message in which says, what if the company's in violation advertises to the UAE market, but they're actually based in another country? Well, Damien says that companies that violate the law through misleading online advertising can be reported to the authorities by consumers. The authorities will then investigate and respond within a specified timeline, depending on the nature of the complaint. The suppliers are then obliged to comply with the result of any complaints process. Uh, So really fascinating how this is sort of breaking down. If you have any complaints, there is a hotline here in the UAE. You just dial 600 522 225 or you can go to the website there's even an app but the website is consumerrights.ae uh, really loving the messages coming in uh, leah says so even though i changed my mind that i wanted to return another two items on my total order of six items i apparently can't and that's with a very well-known budget shop here uh, but apparently i could if i'd bought in a shop within 14 days it is absolute madness leah thank you very much for your message You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda with Georgia Tolley. On Dubai Eye 103.8. 
Hello there. Welcome back to The Agenda just after 10.50. Now, I've got a question for you. Uh, and it's actually one of those ones that's been trending on social media, which, which I tend to like to ignore sort of almost in a deliberate fashion. But you couldn't miss this one. Um, it really has been everywhere. And I suppose it all comes down to um, uh, the winter season. Have you had a cough that you just don't seem able to shake? Well, if you are that person, you are not alone. I've been coughing for about three weeks now. It started at the start of the year after I attended a New Year's Eve gathering. And immediately I knew this was a different type of cough. It's harder and harsher than your typical cough that comes with a cold. It's like I'm trying to get something out desperately, but it just wouldn't come out. Sometimes I would cough for five, ten minutes straight, nonstop. So I've had difficulty breathing and... uh, it's so embarrassing. It can happen in a restaurant or in a shop. Uh, I went to see a doctor. The doctor said it's probably a post-viral cough, meaning I've had a virus. It's left my body, but the cough is still lingering and nobody knows when it'll stop. I don't really want my cough to last 100 days. It'll scare all of my friends and colleagues off. I'm really hoping and I'm feeling that I'm on the mend. But yeah, I, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Okay, so Zena, who used to produce this show, sent that message in yesterday. Today, she's actually in the office because she's going to be uh, producing Starting Up, which is at 1pm today with Tom Urquhart and the team from Virtue Zone. And she's still got the cough. She's actually very kindly sent me a, a voice note of the cough, which, which I've decided to take and I've been taking the executive decision. I'm not going to play that on the radio. Uh, but Zena's not the only person. Uh, this is one of the videos currently trending on TikTok. No joke, everyone is coughing in New York City right now, <laughs> including myself. And it's the worst because you're not even sick. It's just this dry cough with no mucus or anything. You can drink just cough syrup, anything you want, but this is this weird cough and like literally everyone has it. Is this just New York City or any other city, any other country experiencing the same thing? I don't think it's COVID. Let me know what it is. Yes, what is it? And are we experiencing it here in the UAE? How can we get rid of it? Joining me now to give us advice is Kate Hoffman. She is Chief Nursing Officer of NMC Healthcare. Kate, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the line because I know you're a busy bee at the moment. (laughs) Have you noticed this long-term cough going around the UAE? So, um, hi, Georgia, and I'm sorry to hear that Zena's been suffering from um, a cough for such a long time. There are coughs that are going around and and you will have heard on social media that some of them are called a hundred day cough. And the reason they're called that is that they can last weeks and months. And one of the reasons um, that they can have a a cough, which is different to the normal winter cough, is it could possibly be whooping cough, uh, which is a bacterial infection of the lungs and and the breathing tubes. So um, the only way you can confirm that is by taking a little sample of the um, spit that you uh, bring up and looking at it under a microscope. But um, whooping cough is to start with, very similar to a cold, a common cold. Um, And it's worse in children, which is why we ask for parents to get their children vaccinated. And it's worse in children because of their tiny little airways. Um, And when they cough out, it makes a whooping sound. So, yes, we are seeing an increase in in numbers. One of the reasons, of course, is that we're out and about more after COVID. Um, Apparently, the numbers although higher, are actually lower than they were in the pandemic years. But um, yes, there are increases in coughs. And one of the reasons could be whooping cough. Is whooping cough treatable? Is it bacterial? Do you get antibiotics for it? 
Yes, it's a bacterial infection of the lungs and the breathing tubes, which is why it causes the cough. Um, it, it, it can be dangerous in, in, in little children. In adults, it doesn't tend to be unless you have um, uh, some comorbidities. If you're really struggling, I would suggest you go and see the doctor. It is because it's bacterial treatable uh, within uh, with antibiotics. So you need to go for your, for your doctor um, for those, for a prescription. Um, what you need to do, it's very contagious, is basically stay away from people. So if you're a child, stay off school or nursery until 48 hours after the uh, start of your antibiotics. Or if you don't go on antibiotics, you stop being contagious after three weeks. So um, in the meantime, if you get plenty of rest, lots of fluids and take paracetamol if you've got a temperature, according to the manufacturer's instructions. So lots that you can do. And it will. It sounds like Xena's cough is, is reducing. And if it is whooping cough, it will go with time. Um, but um, I'm sorry to hear that she's been suffering. <laughs> Poor Xena. Are we still more susceptible, do you think, to the sort of viruses going around? I, rem- I remember there was a sort of big peak post-COVID because we all socially distanced for so long. So we kind of hadn't built up our protection to other viruses and, and illnesses. Is that still the status quo, even... You know, we've had a couple of years now since the end of the pandemic. Yeah, I think um, bugs, bacteria, viruses, they love it in winter. Um, Particularly, I think one of the um, uh, big uh, articles is from the UK where everybody is freezing cold and sitting inside little rooms uh, next to each other. So we are expert at social distancing. uh, But because things are uh, lifting, we are socialising more. The other thing about whooping cough is that, unfortunately, fewer children are getting vaccinated um, and the current vaccine doesn't last quite as long as it used to, which is why more adults like Xena, if she has got whooping cough, is suffering. Uh, But we will continue to see in these winter periods an increase in in viruses and bacteria. It takes a few years to get over a pandemic. If you think that for some reason you missed out on getting the whooping cough vaccine for your child, can you get it at any age? I remember having it when I was pregnant, interestingly. Yes, yes. Ideally between 16 and 32 weeks if you're pregnant. But yes, you go to your GP and have a discussion about whether um, you need the whooping cough vaccine. Yep. So good advice there, as ever. Kate, thank you very much indeed. Are there any, if you've got a cough, is it worth getting the cough syrup? I always think it's just sweet syrup. Um, I, I, well, for me, I don't use a cough syrup, but I haven't had a cough that's so annoying that I need something to balm it. But go to your pharmacist, ask your pharmacist's um, advice and they will advise you. Brilliant. Kate, thank you so much. Great to have you join us on the line. And if indeed you are suffering from the 100-day cough or even a cough that's lasted for a month, uh, all of the best uh, from Dubai Eye is with you. We, We hope you're getting better soon. Hello there. Welcome back to The Agenda. Good morning to you. Um glorious weather we've got here. I've got a few friends who are over in Switzerland at the moment where it's absolutely freezing. And the reason why they're there is because right now some of the world's richest and most powerful people have all come together in a small Swiss town called Davos. I must emphasize that that my friends who are there are not the richest and most powerful. They tend to be journalists. Um, But everyone is there for the World Economic Forum. And the idea is that they are... I mean, they get together, they discuss, you know, the world's biggest problems. They socialise. 
And hopefully they start to come up with some clever ideas to solve those problems. And the UAE has been getting a couple of shout outs from some of the keynote speakers, which is quite impressive if you think about it. You know, you've got, you know, some of the most important people in the world. And whereas the UAE is a big deal for us living in it outside the Middle East, uh, you know, I'm not sure the UAE would necessarily cross people's minds all that often. But we did cross the mind of the boss of Microsoft, uh, Satya Nadella, who had this to say in his keynote speech. The UAE has rolled out a personalised tutor for every student in the country. In fact, I think Bill first talked about information at your fingertips at Comdex in 93. And this is more about intelligence at your fingertips or expertise at your fingertips. Think about it. You have now technology like something like GPT-4 that essentially can be used to create a personal tutor for every student in the world, right? It's absolutely economically feasible, even with just the government spending that's happening even in the global south, right? So it's not just in the UAE, but it can happen everywhere. Now, I have to admit... um when we heard this clip, and we heard it first on the Business Breakfast, it did have a scratch your head slightly. I was a bit like, really? I haven't, I haven't heard of that. We actually hadn't picked up on it. Um, I, but it is true. Um, Jen checked with the Ministry of Education yesterday. Um, and turns out that they are indeed partnering with a company called ASI, who are indeed developing and customising their AI sort of tutor platform to incorporate the UAE's national curriculum. And not only that, it's actually already entered into a soft phase as of December. So there will be children out there now, probably in the national schools where the Emirati children tend to go. Um, and they're probably already trialing it now. We are going to try and get you know, into that. I'd love to speak to a school. In fact, if anyone's listening who knows of a school where they're already trying out this AI tutor, we would really love to speak to them about how, how it's working out. In the meantime, we wanted to find out, you know, how it conceptually could work and whether or not it's actually a good idea. Um, and joining me now is Caitlin Bentley, Dr. Caitlin Bentley. She is a lecturer in AI education at King's College London, where her research looks at how educators can sort of actively shape um, the, the future of responsible AI education in, in schools. Um, so really interesting topic of research, really interesting to get Dr. Bentley on the line. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. It is horribly early in the morning uh, for Dr. Caitlin. So thank you for your time. Oh, thank you for having me. It's Lovely. not too early, but it's definitely cold over here as well. It's very cold. I'm actually traveling to the UK next weekend and I'm digging out socks. Oh, that I have coat. Socks, <laughs> coats, woolly jumpers, all the things I haven't worn for about nine years. Um, so, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Bentley, what do you think of this idea? Of course, we haven't got a great deal of detail, so we're flying ever so slightly blind. But in principle, well, certainly I'm Satya Nadella seems to think it's a good idea. I'm glad to hear that um, that that the UAE is uh, working with a partner to customize the chatbot to the national curriculum. Because the first um, the first thing that always comes to my mind when I hear about news like this is is really what are the educational goals of using the AI tutor and like why should students be using it? Like, how is it really going to help them with their learning? Like, we all know it's a it's a fancy new tool that um, is definitely shaping many sections of our society, but we really do need to focus on how it benefits education. 
Um, and if you want to support skills like critical thinking in children, you have to teach children to ask good questions rather than just getting answers from an AI tutor. Um, and AI can also make mistakes. It can produce biased and stereotypical results. I'm hoping the customization process will weed some of that out. Um, but ideally, we'd want our children to be able to ask questions so that they're not just blindly believing what the AI says. Um, and then I guess also we really have to be careful about what the impact on learners is. Um, so, for example, my son, he's five. And right now, above all else, I want him to learn how to make friends, how to play with them, how to resolve conflicts, um, how to get along with others. Um, so if he's spending more time on a chatbot instead of developing socially, um, I, I think it, it might have negative consequences. But I guess it's sort of like, uh, you know, video games, uh, good in certain instances, um, but you have to be a, a bit watchful about it. I mean, I... Um, and then... I, I was Sorry, thinking, go ahead. Well, I was quite interested when Satya Nadella said it would be open and available even to... This AI tutor idea would be open to children even in developing countries. Because obviously if you're... I know that there's a real shortage of teachers in developing countries. There's a real shortage of money to pay for them. And in that situation, obviously an AI tutor would be you know, better than no teacher at all. But I certainly don't imagine an AI tutor is better than a real-life human teacher. And that would make me a bit nervous, maybe. Definitely. I don't think AI can replace teachers. And we've seen this before in the past with the One Laptop Per Child initiative, um, with the Hole in the Wall uh, initiative in India as well. Um, just providing the technology is not sufficient, even if it's an advanced technology like AI. Um, and really, um, the most important point about any technology um, and introducing one into the classroom is whether teachers have been given time and support to be able to integrate these tools into their pedagogy. Um, and that has, over time, been historically the most effective way to ensure that uh, these new technologies benefit learning. I mean, I have recently used a computer program to help train my son up for an exam that he had to take. Um, I'd never come across it before. I'm not very, I'm not very sort of engaged with my children's education. I, I tried it during COVID and, and it was a disaster, um, the whole sort of home learning thing. Um, but we tried this Atom program, which definitely uses artificial intelligence to adapt its questions to things that my son clearly didn't know the answer to or areas that my, my son needed to work more on. You know, that it sort of changed its behaviour and according to what my son got right and wrong. Are you, do you think that the AI tutors that they're talking about here in the UAE are more advanced than even that? To some degree, um, the, the one that you just spoke about is an approach where it personalises um, by adapting and predicting responses um, using machine learning, whereas generative AI um, can kind of produce new content or um, answer questions uh, that it hasn't necessarily been trained on, um, but is not always accurate. So children always need to be able to, you know, check the answers or um, know how they might be able to check them. Whereas the one that your son was using, um, it would have been 
designed with more oversight in that sense. Um, so I think for personalization and support, it's definitely valuable. I, I don't doubt that. It's just that we need to be careful about what we really want our children to be learning. Um, and in cases where the knowledge uh, is, you know, out there already and we're pretty certain uh, it's useful and needed and uh, important to us, it's great. But for instances where we're trying to grapple with complex problems like climate change, then we really need to, to create critical thinkers that are going to be able to ask those good questions, move knowledge forward, um, and uh, figure out what hasn't been thought of before, what hasn't been asked before, um, that we need to uh, figure out how to, to work towards. I wonder if we're heading towards a shift in education where memorizing stuff has, is becoming knowing stuff is becoming less important because I'm always surprised at how my son is encouraged to look things up on Google if he doesn't know the answer whereas whereas I kind of think that's cheating <laughs> do you know what I mean it's like, shouldn't he shouldn't he be taught stuff and then know it rather than having to constant even right down to spelling rather than having to sort of constantly ask Google or or is that the reality of, of life now that you know we, you and I do it as adults so why shouldn't children do it um I think you know it's a fair point I think that um to some degree we do need to you know expertise develops by having a good solid foundation of the knowledge but we're sort of debating what that foundational knowledge should be in different areas given these changes um, but at the same time as you practice things that and you get more familiar with it then it becomes automatic and you don't need to go and google things um, but those skills of being able to find the information um, and ask the right questions to find it is a critical skill that is going to suit him in so many different ways. Um, I just think that uh, <laughs> the issue really is, though, that um, if we don't, I think there's something about the authority of knowledge and the idea that uh, teachers, if we teach our, our children that teachers have the answers or that the AI have the answers and that all they need to do is to is to check that their answers are right from the teacher or from the AI tutor, then we're going to have a problem. We need to foster those, uh, you know, information uh, engagement skills and critical thinking and their curiosity and creativity for learning. They need to be able to think for themselves. Uh, really uh, fascinating, sort of quite esoteric conversation we've just had on the radio this morning. Uh, really fascinating stuff. Uh, Dr. Caitlin Bentley, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the agenda this morning. Uh, Dr. Bentley is a lecturer in AI education at King's College London. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Hello there. You are listening to The Agenda. Georgia Tolly here all the way through until 1pm. And I've got a bit of a weird question for you now. Can you imagine being stuck in a plain toilet? 
in some ways, sometimes I go and hide in the toilet, oddly enough, on a plane. But then that's because I'm traveling with two small children and it's infinitely preferable to be on your own for a few minutes. Um, but I mean, I think for most people, it would be a bit of a nightmare. And it is unfortunately exactly what happened to one passenger on board the Indian airline Spicejet this week. Now, he spent the whole flight from Mumbai to Bengaluru stuck in the loo. Staff even had to pass a note under the door suggesting he secure himself for landing. I mean, what with? Loo paper? I mean, like, I mean, like, there's nothing in there for him to secure himself with apart from just gripping onto the base, which I'm not sure I'd particularly want to do. And by way of apology, he has now been offered a full refund. And as a consequence, India's aviation minister has now called for the creation of war rooms at the country's six major airports in order to prevent further problems. Well, is that the type of thing that is necessary? We have seen a whole litany of issues with Indian aviation over the last uh, week or two weeks. And we wanted to find out more about it. So uh, producer Jennifer Crichton earlier caught up with AJ Otani. He is the editor of the Indian travel website Live From A Lounge. And he explained that the sector really has been having quite a bad year so far. This has been a very surprising week in Indian aviation. We've had people hitting pilots. Uh, We've had people sitting on the tarmac because of a diversion. And now we have this news where uh, somebody got caught up in the lab for the duration of the flight. So it's been a weird week, but this one takes the cake because this just speaks about the standards of SpiceJet. Now, this is an airline which has uh, been perpetually short of money over a period of time. So I don't know if this was a freak accident or if this was one of those things that happened because they couldn't maintain the plane because of their monetary situation. But hilarious regardless. For the people on the outside, and we heard that SpiceJet is going to refund him his ticket amount. Now, as you say, this isn't the only incident that we've seen in Indian aviation this week. Can you tell me a bit about those other ones? Because it is a week of unusual incidents, isn't it? On a global level. Aviation started on a sort of bad footing this year with whatever happened in Japan and some of the other things that have happened so far with the MAX 9 blowout and so on. Yeah, the other incidents, well, Delhi, which is one of the most important airports in India, tends to have thick layer of fog, which is something that happens during the months of December and January, typically. And uh, this year, it seems that because of a lot of other things that lined up at the same time, the airport totally went in a sort of a handicapped way where aircraft couldn't land because the primary runway, which is used for uh, low visibility landings, is under maintenance. And the second runway, which can be used for these low visibility landings, also had its own share of issues because there's some construction going on nearby. Uh, So the capacity was massively reduced. And yeah, because of this very thick layer of fog, people could not take off. So what was happening was People were basically being made to board their flights. And from there, they had nowhere to go. So they were sitting on the plane with the pilot waiting for instructions to be able to, you know, take off. But the air traffic control was not going to allow that till uh, you had a certain visibility. And in many cases, people sat on planes for maybe six, eight hours as well. And this was one of those cases where somebody lost his cool and assaulted the pilot. He did not get out of it easy. He was uh, handed over to the cops. 
which incidentally caused another delay on the plane because now they had to open the plane and they had to write up a report against him. So that flight, which was supposed to take off at 7.40 a.m. in the morning, actually did take off at 7.30 p.m. in the evening. So that's the magnus of the amount of delays that people saw. I mean, there are comical aspects to a few of these stories, but the inconvenience is is not funny when you're caught up in it, is it? And we've seen India's aviation minister this week saying that they're going to set up what they called war rooms at six major airports in India to address issues around what they called passenger inconvenience. Have you heard any more details about this? And how necessary do you think an action like that is at this point? I think uh, one of the primary aspects that needs to be maintained during all times of the year is the airport, the regulator, and the airlines which operate there. They all work in sync, right? That's how the ecosystem works. What they're now asking the major airports to do is to make sure that people, some designated senior people, are seated in the same room so that if and when an issue happens, you're not running around, you're not uh, looking for people who can actually take action. You have them all in the same room and the action's kind of decided in maybe 10 minutes. So I think it's a good move. How effective it is going to be, we need to see in the next few days. Also, fog. It's a natural phenomenon, so it's not going to be dictated by uh, a calendar. Unlike snow or rainfall, which is easily predictable, fog is not so easily predictable. It could be three degrees here and no fog. Like I flew this morning, I'm in a different city than my home base, and it was pretty cold, but there was no fog this morning. And uh, on other days, I've lived through that fog. So it's hard to predict the fog, and it might just be an exercise in futility as well, but you've got to be prepared. Now, as you say, we've seen a number of incidents, not just in India, but globally in the the first month still of this year. We know that aviation has had a difficult few years. Are these challenges that we're seeing a result of measures that have been taken to try and get the industry back on its feet? Or do you think we've just had an unlucky month and we're going to see the industry start to recover a bit more easily very soon in 2024? See, I think some of these are freak accidents. Okay, Uh, what happened with Japan Airlines uh, was a freak accident. You can't do much about it. It was very professionally handled by the Japan Airlines crew. The Alaska Air crew did a good job as well about the door blowout situation. They reacted quickly on their feet and they did not let it worsen. So there's no unprofessional aspect from airlines here. You know, it's a very specialized profession and everyone gets into the profession with highly specialized training. So all these people, there's no cost cutting around that aspect. Yeah, well, the OEM in question could do a little bit more about uh, ensuring quality of the delivery of their uh, aircraft, which as of yesterday, they announced a new quality audit to be headed by an external auditor. So we are hoping that these issues are an issue of the past sooner than later. The OEM that uh, AJ is talking about there, of course, uh, Boeing. Um, that is the original equipment manufacturer to uh, to give you the, the meaning of that acronym. Great uh, to hear there from AJ Ortani, uh, the, the editor of the Indian travel website, Live From A Lounge. Uh, huge thanks uh, to Jennifer Crichton, who caught up with him a little bit earlier today. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8.
Right, let's turn our attention to sports now. Our very own Robbie Greenfield is gearing up for a very busy couple of days, but he's taken the time to send us through this report. Morning, Georgia. Lots of sport to discuss in the next couple of minutes. Of course, very excited about the start of the Hero Dubai Desert Classic. I know you're going to be catching up with our correspondent, Zane Scotland, so I'm not going to dwell on that. Suffice to say that we're going to be broadcasting throughout the weekend down there at the Emirates Golf Club, 1 till 4 p.m. on Saturday, 2 until 5 p.m on Sunday. Action is underway at a beautiful, pristine Majlis course, as good as it's looked in years for my money. It's the 35th edition of the event and world number two, Rory McIlroy, the defending champion, has made a good start to his round, two under through four holes. So that's your golf. I know you're going to get more from Zane in just a few moments. Looking at the Australian Open, we saw a dramatic day yesterday with Novak Djokovic, once again engaging in semantics with the crowd as he saw off Alexi Popper in in four sets. He struggled at times did the world number one, the man going for his 11th Australian Open title, but he made his way through. He found a way to get through and he proceeds to the third round where potentially Carlos Alcaraz might be joining him. He's in action against Lorenzo Sonego as we speak. He's up a break in the first set. Looking at earlier results, Alexander Zverev, he took five sets to beat Lucas Klein, as did Kaspar Ruud, who got through Max Purcell in five sets as well. So both of those guys, high seeds in the men's draw struggling a little bit in their second round matches. Over in the women's side, the world number one, Iga Swiatek defeated Danielle Collins. She also was pushed the distance. She went 6-4-3-6-6-4 over her American opponent to negotiate her way into the third round. Emma Raducanu continues her comeback in just a few moments time on, uh, I think, the Rod Laver Arena, if I'm not mistaken. As for the Africa Cup of Nations, it was a big win for pre-tournament favourites Morocco last night. They were 3-0 winners over Tanzania, who had a man sent off in the 70th minute. Goals from Ennesri, Uwani and Saiz. Comfortable enough for Morocco. They justified their pre-tournament favouritism in that opening match, which also saw the Democratic Republic of Congo draw 1-1 with Zambia. And the UAE are in action a little bit later over in the AFC Asian Cup in Group C. They're taking on Palestine. That one kicks off at 9.30pm this evening. The UAE, having won their opening match in the Asian Cup, will be looking to make it six points from six a little bit later on this evening. I'm off down to Emirates Golf Club to enjoy the Hero Dubai Desert Classic. We're going to be bringing you live updates, of course, throughout the course of the day and on our show later on this evening. We'll reflect on day one of the Hero Dubai Desert Classic. Robbie Greenfield there, uh, definitely lining himself up for probably uh, the best or his best four days of the year. It is actually stunning down at the Majelis course. The agenda is live Monday to Friday from 10am till 1pm.